This episode of the Ready Room is brought to you by Audible.com, offering the largest selection of audiobooks for your smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com/trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter. Visit enterpriseinspace.org for more information. And if you'd like to help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day, consider becoming a patron of the network through Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm and find out how you can become part of the team. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. I'm Jeff Combs. I'm everywhere on Star Trek, and you keep tuning in to Trek FM. Welcome to the Ready Room, show number 161, an homage with a capital H. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me this week is Matthew Rushing. We'll be talking about some Star Trek news, including which series deserved an additional season, IO9's list of the top 100 episodes, and we play with Larami's classic Star Trek The Motion Picture tie-in toys from 1979. Then in the feature, we're joined by Larry Nemechek and John Champion to discuss the TNG episode, Sarek. So let's step into the ready room. Hello, Matthew. Welcome back to co-hosting The Ready Room with me. As I told Shar last week, somehow both you and Shar are becoming the main co-hosts here. It's just a little stretch. For some reason, you guys are landing in The Ready Room. Well, Chris, uh, what you didn't realize is that behind the scenes, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think Shar will mind, but we've just been having this bet to see how many Ready Rooms we can get on, you know, <laughs> and what's going on? who can do the most, you know, in, 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 you know, the next few months before the year's out. Okay. So I don't even know who's winning. I've lost track at this point and, and probably it's just because, uh, one, I love being here and two, I enjoy listening when Shar is on. So <laughs> I don't care who wins at this point. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So that so that competition ends at the end of December. Is that what's going on? Yeah. We're uh, and then I guess we'll what we'll do is we'll just count up how many times we've uh, hosted, and then I think the person that wins just wins respect. Oh, that's all. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but you know, with Shar, that's a big deal. So I see. I thought maybe the person who won was going to receive their choice. Of the items that we're going to talk about in the first news story here today, these are the Larami Corporation Star Trek The Motion Picture tie-in products from 1979. Well, Chris, uh, if that was the case, then I was going to hope for a nice uh, Chips ID set. Uh, hopefully (laughs) they still have those because, uh, I feel like if I could just flash that, you know, with my ID, it'd be perfect. So yeah, if, if I win, that's what I want from Char. The ID set is really nice. You know, I like to use it. I flash it. I tell people don't call me tiny. Ah, that's a good one. I, I'm glad that's what you're flashing too. <laughs> so this this is an article on StarTrek.com by our friend John Tenuto and his wife Maria Jose. 
and they've been doing a lot of newspaper research recently. I had John on Matterstream actually to talk about how Star Trek, not only the motion picture development, but also phase two a little bit, but especially the motion picture, how it was covered in newspapers at the time, how the media was viewing this revival of Star Trek through the 70s, through fan action, and then what Paramount was actually doing. And over the course of researching newspapers, they find a lot of interesting things and they learn more about those. And one of those things are these tie-in products that were created by Laramie Corporation, which was a company based in Philadelphia called a Rack Shelf and Counter Impulse Toys Company. And they would make these very inexpensive little franchise tie-in toys that they would sell in drugstores and on grocery aisles. They were usually priced from 39 cents to 99 cents, and they would put them in a position where kids would see them. You may remember this, Matthew, as a kid being in a grocery store and seeing something and asking your parents oh, if yes. you could get it. And you don't have kids yet, but as a parent, you learn the other side of that, steering your children away from those items in the grocery store. I I completely <laughs> remember that, Chris. Uh, you know, I, I loved going on that aisle. You know, it, it was always the the joy when you had gotten old enough, you know, that mm-hmm. you could go to the aisle by yourself and that was oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. you know, because, you know, when I was a kid, that used to be okay. <laughs> parents would actually let you go to the next aisle and, yeah. and check out the toy aisle. Um, my parents weren't the kind of parents that, that really bought us a lot of things in the store. They weren't bad parents, but we just didn't have the money to, to just get extra things a lot of the time. So, um, but I always enjoyed going to check out what was there, you know, uh, what Legos they might have there or something like that. So yeah, toy aisle in the grocery store, any kind of store for me. Well, let's just be honest, Chris. It's still a big deal. <laughs> still now. Okay. That explains all the trinkets I see around your desk there right now. Yes, yes. There's there's way too many trinkets on this desk. In fact, Chris, I, I uh, this is completely off topic, but I just got um, word that my uh, first Starship Collectibles magazine with the Starship is coming, uh-huh. and uh, I'm getting the Prometheus. Okay. And I was trying to figure out today, once I got notification, where am I going to put this on my desk? I'm going to have to move something. Dang it. <laughs> Well, they have not released the Prometheus in Japan yet, so when you get it, you need to let me know if it has tri-vector assault mode. I will, because if it doesn't, I'm going to be really disappointed. (laughs) But back to our story, Chris, you know, this is really cool. Um, The the idea that, you know, you would have all these things, and a lot of these things weren't, you know, just Star Trek toys. They were like a space flashlight, a giant puzzle. A wallet. <laughs> Transfer putty like Silly Putty. I yeah. mean, who wouldn't want Star Trek Silly Putty? I just wonder if it came in a Horda. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you want to keep it warm, you know, that way exactly. the transfer yeah. works better. Mm-hmm. It's funny because what this company did to keep costs low is they would use the same molds for all the different franchise licenses that they had. And you mentioned Chips a moment ago. They had licenses for Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Chips, Marvel Comics, Battlestar Galactica. Of course, the original Battlestar Galactica. And so they would create products that they could use for all the different ones. So you mentioned the flashlight here. You've got the package. It's got Kirk and Spock and the Enterprise up there at the top. Star Trek, the motion picture. And then underneath it, in just generic Helvetica type, space flashlight. And it's just a little flashlight with the Star Trek logo on it 
with an adhesive sticker. So they could have the same thing for, you know, the Battlestar Galactica space flashlight or the chips. I guess it wouldn't be space flashlight, right? It would be like highway flashlight. Or police flashlight. Yeah, police it'd be flashlight. so cool. <laughs> the, the coolest thing, Chris, is, is I, you know, I know that they, they prepackaged these in, 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 in all the same molds, but I love how they were really able to capture the spirit of the motion picture by giving us that really tight packaging. <laughs> exactly. Um, and yes. so, uh, you know, it felt like something from Star Trek, the motion picture, because you were used to seeing them in those really very tight uniforms. Right. Well, that explains two items that apparently John forgot to put in his article on StarTrek.com, but I'm sure I've seen them before. The Star Trek The Motion Picture Space Belt and the Star Trek The Motion Picture Space Pants. Yes, the, 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 the special space pants that you would put underneath the uniform so there weren't any lines. Yeah, those are really important. <laughs> are, you, are you going British on us here, Matthew, with, with the term pants? Uh, yeah, it's just being polite, you know, it's just right. really polite. Yeah. All but right. yes, uh, those underpants as, okay. as we might say here in America. Well, in Japan, it's the same as in England. Pansu, pants means underwear. So if you're teaching Japanese children English, when you teach them the word pants, they all giggle. That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> So there's also a wallet here, Matthew. There is the Star Trek Enterprise wallet. It has, it's made of rugged vinyl. It has a bill compartment, a change compartment, picture holder, and a snap for closing. Thank goodness they included the snap for closing. It's interesting that in a franchise where they don't use money anymore, supposedly, they need a space wallet. And in those really tight pants, where were you going to put a wallet? Where would you put it, right? I I don't even know. I mean, they didn't even have pockets. Oh, maybe Kirk and everybody, they put it behind their big, huge belt buckle that they had. Okay. Maybe right behind there, there was a pouch for your wallet. Well, I thought the belt buckle had NFC. You know, it's like Apple Pay. You just kind of... You bump, oh, yeah. You bump the cash <laughs> register. <Yeah. laughs> Your pelvic thrust pay. <laughs> yes, the pelvic thrust pay, yes. <laughs> I think we just named the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I guess that's enough about these toys. I just found this interesting because, again, I mean, I grew up in the 70s, and I remember toys like this, and when you compare them to toys that we get today, especially movie tie-ins, they're so generic and it, it, they're, they're really interesting. And, and I just think how happy we were as kids in the 70s with toys like this. And, and if I gave this to a kid today, I don't know if they would really like something like this. I think they'd probably look at you like you were crazy. Like, probably. what the heck is this? This doesn't have a screen. It doesn't do anything. It, like, it doesn't have anything to do with Minecraft. What is this crap? Well... As John and Maria Jose say in the article, the giant puzzle here, this was the touchscreen display of the 70s. Oh, yeah. And it had Spock on it. So that was a nice puzzle right there. Exactly. So we'll put a link in the show notes to this if you want to go over. And I highly recommend that you do go over to StarTrek.com and read the article and especially look at the photos because there are four different toys displayed here from the 70s. All right, Matthew, the next thing we have up here 
is a Star Trek.com poll, which I love to talk about. It's not as interesting as the one Char and I talked about last week with Captains versus Zombies. This one's a little bit more serious. This is the poll, which Star Trek series deserved another season? So what do you think about the results here? Well, Chris, I, I could not believe that at only 2%, the animated series right? was at the bottom. I mean... It only got 22 com- episodes, people. We I, need it, more. If if there's a series that needed more seasons, it was that. I mean, I needed more, like, weird spaghetti monsters and, you know, <laughs> I just uh, crazy things like that. So You needed more I'm, pink in your life, Matthew, Exactly, exactly. More pink mm-hmm. ships, you know. Uh, it. What a great show. Um, but no, on, on all seriousness... I. I if I had voted in this poll, I probably would have voted the same way as what was number one, which was Enterprise, because um, I, I completely feel that is the show that really needed more seasons. Yeah, um, y- you know well, we were hitting the stride; it was right. getting so good. We we were where we should have been, kind of probably in season two on the show, basically. If you'd had more seasons, I mean, we would have hit that Romulan War and all of those kind yeah. of things. So. That's the show I think most fans, even if they didn't watch all of Enterprise, they are cognizant now that it needed more seasons because it it would have been so good. I'm curious about that because, so we came in first with 35%, and the the second is The Next Generation with 20%. So Enterprise almost doubled the votes for TNG. I'm wondering if people are feeling that way because it's the one series that didn't, uh, the modern series that didn't get its seven season run, which of course was arbitrary in the first place. But after TNG did it, we came to feel like every Star Trek series should have seven seasons. And if it doesn't, then something is wrong. Or if it's that people are finally watching Enterprise and they're getting to the end of the fourth season and saying, well, that's it. Where are my other three seasons? I think they're getting to the end and they're getting to that show that shall not be named. And they're like, what the? And this is a family (laughs) show, so we don't complete that sentence. Uh, So and they're thinking, yeah, exactly. Where are the where the rest of the seasons? Now, what I thought was so interesting, Chris, the next generation having 20 percent and being in in, in the second slot, because I think I would have switched that in the original series. I don't see the next generation really needing more seasons. See, that's to me. I don't think that it needs more seasons, but I think that it's the most popular. Today, it has the largest audience. It's the show that I feel like any Star Trek fan can love the next generation. You know, the original series for younger people, it's too dated. It's hard for them to get into that show, even with the remastered. And then DS9 is a very specific type of show. Voyager has its own character as well. TNG is one like everyone can love. So I'm not surprised that that's the one that people put second as being just to show that they just want to see more episodes with that crew. Yeah, I can see that. I think, you know, to me, I would have liked to have seen maybe one or two more next generation movies, not necessarily more of the seasons of the show because I felt like they had done a great job with their run. And I feel like the seventh season of the next generation is a, is not quite up to the same standard as six was. There's some great episodes and obviously the finale is, is one of the best ever on television, but the actual season itself 
was beginning to suffer and maybe that's because they were already starting to make the transition so yeah. well um, that's that's what i wanted to ask you do you feel like the next generation season seven do you feel like the show and the writers were running out of steam like do you think they could have given us forget the movie okay we're not going to do a movie they know we're going to have a season eight we're going to have a season nine let's just say they knew this is going to be a show with 10 seasons do you feel like they had more stories to give us an eighth and a ninth season or were they kind of running out of steam I think that the next generation, if 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 they were going to say give it ten seasons, mm-hmm. and you know maybe at that point then they're not doing Deep Space Nine because you know oh, sure. obviously yeah. the next generation is going to be on for more than seven seasons. Yeah, I think you could see them moving to a more serialized nature in the show because they were starting to okay you can't just keep doing this. This isn't Law and Order, you know right. like. You, you do need some movement uh, with the characters. And, and I think they were even realizing that by the sixth and seventh season. And so they and started bringing all the family members that. in for the family. Exactly. Yeah. So I I think that's probably where you might have seen the writers start to go, mm-hmm. starting to, to kind of put things together more and, and link things together a little bit more if they were going to go that direction. Because that's obviously, too, where the writers who moved over to Deep Space Nine started to take that show pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. I could see that happening, but I, I think that would have been interesting. I mean, I can certainly see. I love the TNG cast and crew. TNG for me is my. Is it your warm cup of soup? Exactly, it it's soup my warm cup of soup. You know, it's the one when when I just want to have some Star Trek on. I I'll put TNG on because. You know, DS9, I'm like really into the characters and the story and what's going on. And I sit and I, I'm going to focus and I'm going to really be thinking about what's going on. But with TNG, I just, you know, I know the story so well and it's just there and it's on. And I'm in Star Trek land, but I'm not having to get too invested in the episode at that point. So I would have loved to have seen more TNG probably. I think they could have done it. But I also think that the series had a great run and closed out at the right time when it was on a high and went into the movies. And, you know, I think they gave us pretty good movies. I like Generations and then First Contact was great. So, but with the original series, now this was at a time when they were not going to do a serialized show like you're talking about TNG could have become, but it was cut so short. I definitely think there were a lot of other great stories that they could have told with a fourth or a fifth or even a sixth and seventh season of the original series. Yeah, with the original series, I, I definitely see you having a lot of uh, a, ability to create something and continue to create something there. It, the only thing that it needed, you know, obviously the third season was was so uh, downgraded in the budget. The, the writers were tired and, yeah. and it was just, it was a really tough time for them. So well, that ha- couldn't have continued. We have to think of this in this uh, hypothetical scenario here that the budget would have stayed okay. You know, the ratings were good. So they're just going to be telling stories. Then, yeah, I, I think it would have been fantastic to get more original series. I, I don't think anybody, any Star Trek fan would be like, yeah, if the ratings were good and, and the budget had stayed on track, no, nah, I really wouldn't have wanted any more original series. That, that We're just going to end no. with Turnabout Intruder. Yeah, I'm good. Janice Lester, I mean, ended on a high. yeah. Uh, on an all-time high. <laughs> Matthew, I thought you said you were going to stop singing during the shows. 
I did, except I just pulled out a Bond song there. So after your after your extended Bonnie Tyler cut on the Orb last week, it was a it was a great song. You know, uh, don't make me start singing that song. Well, Chris, okay, so so we both would like to see more original series. Voyager, mm-hmm. uh, would you have wanted to see Voyager continue, or do you think? Okay, here here's where I'd say. I'd kind of want to see more Voyager so that hopefully the end game wouldn't have happened. <laughs> Honestly, I did not want any more Voyager. The thing is, the premise of Voyager, if they had done Voyager, gosh, I want to say done it correctly, to the original premise, I think Voyager is probably not a seven-season show in the first place. I think Voyager is maybe a four-season show that's, all about them really getting home, not about them stopping off to investigate every little thing on a planet that they pass that looks interesting to them. They did that because that's what we expect out of Star Trek. You know, the premise, though, was set up where we've got conflict between Starfleet and the Maquis. We've got to get home. We cannot take the amount of time that it would normally take because the crew's going to die. Uh, it needs to be a generational ship. I think they could have just told that whole story in a completely different way and and made a really fascinating story out of it. And it could have even been shorter. We don't even need the number of episodes that we have. So as long as they're telling the story of Voyager the way that they told it, I don't think that... Or, okay, maybe... I could see more episodes if they had let Voyager actually get home and they continue the story in the Alpha Quadrant. So it has a new angle. Maybe in that case, I, I could have seen more. See, Chris, my idea was, okay, you give Voyager more seasons, but then the whole idea of the show is that it does become a, gen- a generational ship. Okay. So that, you know, you have 10 seasons for the show, but each season is, you know, like maybe a bunch of years. So you keep so, recasting the show so every that, few seasons. Not necessarily recasting, but so that really, okay, if it's going to take them 70 years to get there, all the people that were originally in the show are aged. Yeah. And it's their kids that are running the show. So you're going to, you would need a whole new, it really becomes like a small community type show. And then of course, yeah. Voyager really doesn't look the same by the time that it gets back. And, and right. it, it's a, you know, they are going to, do the Star Trek mission, but they're also going to try and get home, and and they're just going to take their time. They're gonna they're gonna and they're gonna do what Starfleet officers do best, and that is explore the galaxy and figure it out. And they have a instead of taking the opportunity of saying, "Oh no, we're on the wrong side of the galaxy." That's never happened to a Starfleet ship. I guess we should just try to get home. It would I would have thought their attitude would have been like, "We've been given the opportunity to explore mm. a part of the galaxy that no other person would, and if we can get home some point." in the future that's great but otherwise we're going to continue to do our mission you know to seek out new life and new civilization and i thought Mm. i think having that generational idea for the Mm -hmm. show that it can take as long as it needs to take that's but we're going to do our mission i I think that would have been really cool and it would have created an entirely different type of voyager because then you really could have done we're exploring everything Mm -hmm. we're doing basically the original series again and and really the original series we're boldly going where nobody's been before you yeah. know we're not ferrying around diplomats but you don't have the uh, framework of of starfleet behind you 
which you did have right. on the original and, series. And, and so then there would have been some those things that kind of start to change and as yeah. they kind of morph into almost to their own society. I don't know. that See, To me, that would be really interesting. I like that idea because when we look at Deep Space Nine, one thing I know that you and I love about Deep Space Nine is that it is a different take on Star Trek. It's not the next generation. And outside of the first couple of seasons... They're not trying to be the next generation. They're telling their own story, and it's a different approach to Gene Roddenberry's vision and Star Trek. And then what you're describing would be yet another very different approach to Star Trek. And so in that case, it would really be its own series, and it would carve out its own little niche within Star Trek instead of it being sort of, I feel like the next generation light with an attempt to take us back to the original series, Strange New World. But Chris, it has less calories. <laughs> it is a smaller ship. That is so, true. <laughs> well, that's interesting. So I, I think it's harder to answer this question with Voyager because it's, do we want to see more of the same what we were getting? No. Would we have wanted to see more if it had a completely different take on Star Trek? Then yes. So would we wanted to see more Voyager? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> so Deep Space Nine. Now here's one. I know that listeners are probably thinking, oh, Chris and Matthew, they're going to say definitely more Deep Space Nine because they're Niners. They host the orb together. Me personally, Matthew, I don't want to see more DS9. I think that that story wrapped up where it needed to wrap up. And it's why I also did not want to see a DS9 movie. When DS9 was on, I thought... This cast, this concept would make great movies. But then after it ended, I felt like, I don't want a movie because where do you go from here? How, how do you turn that into something for the general audience? And so here we're not talking about movies, so we're talking about another season. You and I know there's an eighth season of DS9 in the books, and we know what they did with that. But I don't know. I was happy with the seven seasons and leaving it where it was. Deep Space Nine is one of the few of the series that I can say, yes, I, I I really love what they did with all seven seasons and how it works together. Now, would I want more? Man, I remember when that show ended, Chris, and I was just crushed. You know, like I had followed that show from beginning to end. It was the first show that I did that with. I loved that show to death, and when it ended, it was just like a part of me was like gone, you know? You just, you, because you're so invested in the characters and everything. So I personally would have wanted to see more seasons. Not necessarily that, you know, everything would have happened the same. You know, if they know that there's yeah. a possibility of doing more seasons, what happens at, at the end of season seven doesn't necessarily lead in then to a season eight or something. You know, my guess is the end game might be the same, but it's pushed back. And then mm -hmm. you've just got more seasons in there to deal with more stuff, which is fantastic because I would just love the way that Deep Space Nine was really exploring the Star Trek universe. And maybe that would have given them more time to explore places like the Gamma Quadrant and things like that yeah. that we didn't see a ton of. So I could have had, you know, 10 seasons of Deep Space Nine. That would have been great. Do I need 10 seasons of Deep Space Nine or can I be very happy with what I got? I'm very happy with what I got. And I... I Again, if I was voting in this poll, if I had, because I missed this one, because I miss them every once in a while, I, I definitely would have voted Enterprise because yeah. of really of all these shows, it's the one that I want to see more of because there's 
so much more story that I know is already there. You know, mm-hmm. all of these other shows, I think the only one, like Enterprise, is really the original series. There is a lot more story there, and it could be told. Yeah. So the results, I don't know if we ran down the percentages for all of them here. So again, the final results in the actual poll were 35% Enterprise, 20% The Next Generation, 19% The Original Series, 14% Voyager, 11% Deep Space Nine, 2% The Animated Series. And I think that's pretty much my order, except I would probably put the original series second and TNG third. But for me, they would also be kind of neck and neck. So yeah, I, I pretty much agree with this one. So we'll put a link in the show notes to this if you want to go over and check it out. And let us know what you think. You can find us on Twitter. Our username is TrekFM. Or go to Facebook and type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field. And that will take you to our closed listeners group, which is a replacement for the forums. It used to be on our website. And we'll definitely be talking about this over there. So come and click join. I'll let you into the group and share your thoughts with us there on this. And if you want to send us email, trek.fm slash contact is where you'll find the form for that. Choose to send to a show and choose the ready room. Okay, Matthew, we have one more thing to talk about in news here. This did come up in the Babel conference actually the other day, and this was an article on io9, which is not known for its hard-hitting Star Trek discussion. I sometimes am puzzled by the articles they post there. But this one is the top 100 Star Trek episodes of all time, an article by Charlie Jane Anders. Now, Matthew, would you agree with me that it is impossible to actually rank the top 100 Star Trek episodes of all time? The best you can do is my personal favorite 100 Star Trek episodes. Yeah, I'm with you, Chris. Uh, you know, it, this is a really subjective conversation uh, because uh, everybody has their different tastes when it comes to Star Trek, and not everybody's going to have the same taste, and therefore you can't expect to, to be able to create, these are the 100 best, you yeah. know, like. Now, can you create a list of, of, say, these are the 100 episodes that I feel like everybody should see of Star Trek? Yeah, I think you can do that because there there are some milestones in Star Trek and things that you, you know, uh, people really, you should see this. You know, even yeah. if you don't see all of Star Trek, these are some of the important milestones that everybody should kind of know. Like the trouble with Tribbles. Everybody should see that episode just so they know what people are talking about. Yeah, totally. So we're not going to go through all 100 here. A quick rundown of the top 10. Oh, we're not? (laughs) That'll be for another (laughs) podcast, Matthew. Um, The top 10 are Mirror Mirror from TOS at number 10. Number 9, All Good Things. Number 8, The Inner Light. Number 7, In the Pale Moonlight from DS9. Number 6, The Trouble with Tribbles. Number 5, Darmok. Number 4, The Visitor, the great episode from DS9. Number three, The City on the Edge of Forever. Number two, The Best of Both Worlds. Number one, Balance of Terror. Um, I agree. I mean, these are 10 fantastic episodes. They would all be on my list of, you must watch these as an introduction to Star Trek. I don't know if I agree with Balance of Terror being number one over The Best of Both Worlds or The City on the Edge of Forever are all good things, though. Yeah, I I like the balance of terror, and I, I think too. it's a great yeah. episode. Um, for me, I I cannot ever put an episode of Star Trek above City on the Edge of Forever 
because I, I just think it's one of those episodes you don't even have to be a Star Trek fan yeah, to be exactly. able to sit down and watch it and appreciate it because mm-hmm. it's it's such a moving hour of television. It, it's so well done. And, and the storyline, it its framework is, is sci-fi, but its story is so human. And, 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 it, and I think it, it can move anyone. So I... I, I think to me that's always number one. Yeah. Um, and I think you can say the same about the visitor that's number oh goodness, four right yes. now. And especially since, you know, so much of the visitor it doesn't take place really in space. It takes place with Cisco, the yep. old Cisco, telling that story, you know, mm-hmm. and it's coming from him and that, that relationship that those two actors have together is just electric. And oh man, what a that episode, Chris, and and um, for me, the, in the pale moonlight would honestly be tied for like two and three, I think. And then with the inner light there, all four of those episodes to me are just like hands down some of the most fantastic hours of television ever created. Definitely, yeah, totally agree. So as we scroll through here, Voyager. The highest ranked episode of Voyager is Equinox at number 23. Now, for me, Equinox is probably not even in my top 50% of best Voyager episodes. And it's the highest ranked Voyager episode on her list. Yeah, it's interesting. They just talk about uh, the reason, I guess, for them was Janeway's determination to uphold the Federation principles far from home look a lot more impressive when you meet another Starfleet crew who compromised those principles and very badly. Yeah. And to me, I, I can I can kind of understand what they're saying. But honestly, if I'm thinking of like better Voyager episodes, number 26 that they had was Year of Hell Part 1 and 2. Oh, yeah. Man, what a great episode of of voyager i mean they do hit the big reset button at the end i mean she literally flies the ship in and says time's up (laughs) so you know uh but i think to me that's a better episode well i mean where where is death wish on this list yeah death wish fantastic so i mean another um, great episode 1159 is a great episode of voyager yes and yeah, Chris, we've talked about that. on. Actually, I, we were thinking on the other side of the room. The other side of the room. What was the last episode of Voyager I was on? Oh, was it 1159? I, I think it was 1159, okay. and I love that episode. It yeah. is my all-time favorite Voyager episode. So um, I'll give her props for putting an animated series episode on here. Of course, it is yesteryear. And that would be the obvious one at number 30. And then if we scroll down to uh, Enterprise, the first Enterprise episode to appear on the list is at number 33. I should say the highest ranked episode is at number 33, and that's Twilight. Which I love that episode, Chris. I, and I was thinking about that, you know, uh, there's some episodes in there, though, that I think, you know, like Damage... I mm-hmm. I could have put that higher on yeah. this list, you know, in in the twenties because that's just a fantastic episode, and and it's hard because that whole season it builds on each other, and you really do need them. But I think of that episode specifically, where you know Archer is is between a rock and a hard place. I mean, he ends up having to steal from Casey Biggs, aka Demar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even though it's not Demar, but you can uh, you tell know, it's Casey Biggs. It, it yeah. totally can tell, but he pulls off that role so well. I mean. It's just a crazy awesome episode of Enterprise and the issues that they're dealing with and that Archer's dealing with. That's way better than Equinox. 
that's if you ask me and yeah. and i think it should definitely be on the list but i don't even see it here so yeah i think at the end this is probably just kind of shows that a majority of this is 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 so subjective absolutely because we all have our opinions as star trek fans and i yeah. think we could kind of come up with a a common list of say the hundred episodes that even if you're not a Star Trek fan, these are the episodes that you should see. These are the important mm-hmm. ones. So, um, but yeah. to say these are the best all time episodes ever. And if you agree with this list or don't agree with this list, depends on how cool you are. That's just not true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that at number 78, she has remember me, which is one of my favorite TNG episodes that is overlooked by many, many fans, most fans probably. So my final thought on the list here is that it's a list of 100 great episodes. I don't, there are no clunkers on here. They're all great episodes. What order you put them in? I mean, that's of course completely up to each person. So um, overall, I mean, it's a great list. I think that this is a good article for, like if someone asked asked me, I really want to get into Star Trek. What should I watch? You know, I'm gonna. I'll watch a lot, but but you got to tell me what to watch. I would be very comfortable just sending them this link and saying, "Here are a hundred great episodes that you should watch." I yeah, Chris, I I completely agree. I mean, you know, this is one of those lists that you can sit down and like, oh man, I really just want to go. Uh, like I when I looked at lists, lists, I thought to myself, I just need to go back and watch that episode. You know, I'd, I'd mm-hmm. see all these episodes go by, and I'm like, okay, I. I Oh, I need to watch that one. Oh, I haven't watched that one in a while, you know? So it just reminds you, I think, as a Star Trek fan, how much greatness there is in in all of these series. And, uh, you know, whether you love each series or it's not your favorite or whatever, there was always something that stood out in one of those series that you'd want to go back and, and revisit an episode over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll put a link to this in the show notes as well. If you want to go read this over on io9, if you want to use it as a viewing guide. And that's all we have in news. So Matthew, before we jump into the feature where today we are joined by Larry Nemechek and John Champion from Mission Log to talk about the TNG episode Sarek, we need to tell everyone about our sponsor for today's show, audible.com. Audible is the best source for audiobooks that you're going to find anywhere. They have so many books. I pick up probably at least one new one per week, Matthew, actually. Lots of audiobooks on my devices. That's that's awesome, Chris. And I know for you, it's it's really helpful because it's, it's not as always easy for you to get the time to read, but you have more oh, time absolutely. to listen. And so you can actually get yeah. to read those books because you can just sit and listen to them. That's one reason I love it. Absolutely. So, Matthew, today... Because we're going to talk about Sarek, the TNG episode in the feature, I decided to recommend Sarek, the book, which is not actually related to the episode. They just share a name. But this is the book from 1994, so four years after the TNG episode aired, written by A.C. Crispin and narrated by Nick Sullivan. And as I said, this is not related to the episode. Here is a quick rundown of this story. Spock's mother, Amanda Grayson, is dying and Spock returns to the planet Vulcan, where he and Sarek enjoy a rare moment of reproachment. But just as his wife's illness grows worse, duty calls Sarek away, once again sowing the seeds of conflict between father and son. Yet soon Sarek and Spock must put aside their differences and work together to foil a far-reaching plot 
to destroy the Federation. Can you imagine that, Matthew? Can you believe that there's a far-reaching plot to destroy the Federation that's going to put this story into motion? That never happens, Chris. It never Man, happens, what a, right? what a genius idea. <laughs> so that's going on. A plot that Sarek has seen in the making for nearly his entire career. So that's kind of like the episode, actually, right? He had been preparing for those negotiations for pretty much his whole lifetime, at least for a century, I should say. Apparently, all the good things in Sarek's life happen at the end. Like, he just spent so. all of his life preparing for all of these preparing, things, yeah. and then right. they finally all kind of like dominoes start to fall. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like human life too, right? You know, you, you gain experience, you build towards something, and then finally you're able to do it there at the end. So the crew of the USS Enterprise journeys to the heart of the Klingon Empire, where Captain Kirk's last surviving relative has become a pawn in a battle to divide and conquer the Federation. With Sarek's help, the crew of the Starship Enterprise learns that all is not as it seems. Dun, dun, dun. But before they can prevent the Federation's destruction, they must see the face of their hidden enemy, an enemy more insidious and more dangerous than any they have faced before. Matthew, does that get you going? Is that a good synopsis? Uh, I kind of want to go back and read this book, Chris. We're listening to it, so I, this Listen is, this is it, a Matthew. perfect one to Listen pick up to on it. Audible. Absolutely. So you can get this book absolutely free as a Trek FM listener just for trying Audible. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up. If you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose. You'll get to keep this book. But when you try Audible, it really helps us keep our shows coming to you every week and every day, in fact. So go over to audibletrial.com slash trekfm, pick up Sarek or any other book that you want. And we really thank you for supporting Audible. And we thank Audible for supporting The Ready Room and The Network. First introduced in Journey to Babel, Sarek of Vulcan is one of the best-known characters from the original series, perhaps due primarily for his roles in The Search for Spock and the subsequent original series films. Following McCoy's cameo in Encounter at Farpoint, it took quite a while for some TOS characters to reappear on The Next Generation, but they finally did, and it all started with Sarek here near the end of Season 3. And today we're going to talk about Sarek, the background of the character, his introduction to the next generation, and the episode that bears his name. And to help us do that, we're joined by John Champion from Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. John, welcome back. Hello, good to be here. Thank you. And we are also joined by one of John's local cohorts in crime from the Los Angeles area, Dr. Trek himself, Larry Nemechek. Larry, Good to have you back. Why haven't you been on the show in a while? <laughs> because there's only so much room on that row on iTunes, Chris. And uh, you can't, uh, <laughs> you can't, you know, you can't use it all up too fast. So actually, since you asked, we were in Houston and I went to a space conference for a day and we were shooting on Con of Wrath. So there, yeah. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, let's, let's jump into the discussion of Sarek here. Um, we always do a synopsis here at the beginning of 
the episode, but this, okay, so basically what happens here, Sarek comes on board, the Enterprise-D goes to Vulcan to pick him up because they're going to be, surprise, surprise, holding some negotiations on board the Enterprise-D because they never do that on the Enterprise-D, right? No, there's no. better so things Sarek aboard. to do. Yeah. <laughs> so they bring <laughs> Sarek aboard and uh, he's growing very old at this point in the 24th century. And he is suffering from a disease called Bendai syndrome and he's losing control of his emotions. It affects everyone on the ship. And of course, it threatens the success of these negotiations, which he has been preparing for, for almost an entire century now. But what's more interesting to me than the actual story itself is bringing Sarek onto the next generation and what they did to make the Vulcans a little bit more three-dimensional here in the next generation. So let's start out by just talking about Sarek's place in Star Trek. So Larry, what can you tell us about Sarek? Well, it's it's interesting. All the time we had no bloody A, B, C, or D. I didn't think about it this way, but now we went through all the generations and we talk about the running, the recurring guest stars of the show, like we had Q and then Colomides, O'Brien, who became a regular, and, you know, Vosh and all the, the Pantheon, then DS9, you know, you need a, a huge bushel basket to keep all them together. But if you go back and you think, well, what was the equivalent in the original series? You didn't have that many. I mean, you have Harry Mudd a couple of times, you know, Sarek once, which after the movie appearances, we don't, we don't sometimes have to stop and remember he was only in Journey to Babel, but it was such mm-hmm. a powerful, you know, Mark Leonard is so great, was so great. And, uh, and then the fact that it's one of Spock's parents just made such a, you know, such an impact. We didn't really think about recurring guest stars on the original series. They were just, they were just trying to stay alive. But um, the fact mm-hmm. that when the time came to go to that well, of characters in the movie era, um, he was one that made sense. I mean, it made sense in the plot and search for Spock, but it was natural that they turned to Mark Leonard. And before Trek was as big an industry as it was, and you would even have like the cruises and conventions outside the regular cast. I mean, you know, Mark Leonard was the Andrew Robinson who people would go, wait, wasn't he a regular? Well, no, one episode. But mm-hmm. he was just in that niche, and he was so powerful, and he had made such a, you know, with live appearances at conventions and cruises and everything else, he, um, you know, of course, he had the other characters. He had the Romulan commander, and then he was the first Klingon captain in the movie, right. first in the motion picture. But mm-hmm. he, he just made that kind of an impact, so it made, it made a lot of sense um, as a character and then as an actor, fan-friendly presence. To, um, that, that, that's, that's just the place he held, you know, in a place where there weren't that many of those kinds of uh, niches, those kind of characters right i think that's one of the cool things about mark leonard and about how they cast star trek at the time mm-hmm. you know they they would bring in the actors that they liked <laughs> if if somebody did a good job they would bring them back and they didn't care so if you had mark leonard as the romulan commander and then he could come back and play spock's father and then they tried to get him uh, again in season three as abraham lincoln in the savage curtain and it was only by timing that they didn't get him in that role. So he could have had, uh, uh, you know, three different characters in the original series, and then they brought him back for the animated right. series. And he was mm-hmm. on the short list. If they actually went through with axing, if Nimoy actually walked away, or they didn't come to terms, he was right. actually on the short list to play, if not spot, play a replacement Vulcan. Yeah. Zahn or, or somebody, uh, yeah. some some other Vulcan. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
so that is kind of cool that they would do that. They just bring back the people that they like. And it is a testament to Mark Leonard having, you know, gravitas up to his eyeballs that that Sarek is a standout character. But Sarek is a standout character because Spock is a standout character. Everybody who fell in love with the Spock character and wanted to know what made him tick. Well, as soon as you introduce the father character and as soon as you let that that strained relationship permeate and define who Spock is for so long. Well, everything that Sarek does is going to stand out. I mean, if you added up every moment of Sarek that we get in Star Trek, even if you include this episode, you probably end up with, oh, I don't know, an hour of footage, maybe, mm-hmm. as as actual Sarek, you know. Has, but, has, hasn't someone done that on YouTube by now? Uh, maybe <laughs> cut together all the, the super fan cut. Yeah, <laughs> the super fan cut. Yeah, but but every moment of that is gold because he's so good and and everything is so important to our understanding of everything else in Spock's life. I was, was going to so, say it could have yeah, been a I mean, weighty he, character, he, but if Mark Leonard didn't bring it off, then it, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. So, he had so a you're saying that there. if he were Riley's father, people wouldn't have been quite so interested in him. <laughs> no, nobody would have cared. <laughs> Get that guy off. It's interesting, too. To, for me, I was thinking as you guys were talking, the one place that Mark Leonard doesn't play Sarek, but Sarek shows up, is in uh, Star Trek V when he watches his son be born and he says you know oh so human mm. uh and right. and you see the progression of that character so even though mark leonard hasn't played that you you you've seen that character kind of move forward and change his mind about his own son um throughout the years and i think that that was you know as as maligned as that movie is it's kind of a pivotal moment for kind of understanding as you said john where does spot come from and his father is somebody who at the beginning is still struggling with the fact that he's married to, I think, a, a human woman, and now his his child is more human than he might like. Um, and yet Spock is the one who kind of embraces the, the, the Vulcan way of life instead of the human way of life. So I just thought that that's something that really adds to that character, and, and it really plays into this episode as well because Sarek has spent his whole life not being able to fully express himself to these people around him his son his wives that are both human and um so his place in in canon is is huge even though he has such a small footprint it's it it looms very large because of who like you said his son is but even just the the storyline they're able to craft there i i love his appearance in in uh the animated series i think it's probably the best episode of that show safe to say Uh, and 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 it has a big part of of who we know Sarek to be and Spock to be, and so yeah, this is a this is a really great character to bring on. And for those listening who aren't familiar with the animated series, the episode is Yesteryear, which is probably the only TAS episode that people kind of consider to be canon, and has elements of it have resurfaced throughout Star Trek. No, yeah, no matter what era it's officially in or it's officially out, people unofficially love Yesteryear. <laughs> no matter what the political winds of the time are blowing, <laughs> right? No, I was going to say right. it's that. Right. That reminds me. There are only you know they had Jimmy Doohan and Majel doing all the guest voices because it was a budget Saturday morning show. Very mm-hmm. what Mark Leonard Sarek. It's a mark of it's a, no pun intended. Yeah. It's a mark of where he was even in 1973. 
that he's one of the rare people they would bring in to do his to revoice his voice. And, and Roger C. Caramel for uh, right. for Mud. I'm trying to think off the top of my head who else you know was recurring. They sure didn't do that for John Colico's core. They just had Jimmy do a you know rough Klingon voice. Well, really, when you have Mark Leonard and uh, you have uh, Majel Barrett and James Dewan, really, you don't need anybody else other than Ted Knight. That's right. Uh, who they brought in. So, you Vendorian! Uh, you know, if we're okay. going to get... If we're going to get wow. somebody new, just get Ted Knight. Yeah. <laughs> well, start a little 5,000 watt radio station on Vendor 9. Okay, there was a, there was a universe first. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, so that's Sarek's place within Star Trek leading up to that. I know for me, the scene in The Search for Spock is probably when he goes to see Kirk, and that's what sets Kirk in motion to go back to Genesis, is probably the key Sarek scene for me, which makes him so loom so large within Star Trek in my eyes, even though, uh, like you said early on, Larry, I, I believe you said that it we sometimes forget that he only appeared in this one episode of the original series as Sarek in Journey to Babel, and yet you feel like he's always there. But then we fast forward to the next generation, and apart from DeForest Kelly as McCoy, who has the cameo in Encounter at Farpoint, there's really this separation between TNG and TOS. And then here we are, almost the end of the third season, and we bring Sarek on. And I remember it coming on and feeling as a Star Trek fan, like what a great moment this was to actually see Mark Leonard on screen as Sarek. And Sarek is aboard the Enterprise. And it's one of those things where you don't need any gimmick for it. You know, it's not like you don't need to be caught in a transporter buffer or anything like that to make it work because he's a Vulcan and so he would still be alive. And those kind of stories I like. What can you tell us about the the backstory, especially any insider things that have been uncovered going through archives and such that maybe haven't been transcribed to memory office <laughs> about bringing <laughs> Mark Leonard on to the next generation, you know, and how they were able to, to work that out and make that decision right. as well. Well, you mentioned McCoy. I mean, the whole, the whole Genesis of, uh, <laughs> Genesis, the whole Genesis, uh, <laughs> Genesis, forbidden. Is forbidden. Genesis, <laughs> Genesis in series development forbidden. Um, the whole, <laughs> zeitgeist of next generation was all those people who started next generation were like the original series was seen in the industry as a failure you know and 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 uh and even even though it became popular this show has to start on its own legs you know, all, all the things that all the rules at the beginning about vulcans and klingons and romulans and you know you know we won't have the transporter breakdown every week okay we'll have the holodeck breakdown every week but that's okay that's right <laughs> it'll at least be something new but you know, one of those dictums was no original series, everything. And, and McCoy was the uh, kind of the launching kiss, you know, <laughs> kind of the way all the series wound up doing. So, yeah, no, no, um, no overlapping of original and next generation, uh, anything, aliens, cultures. And but this is the third season. They're starting to get their legs. It's the season of hell. <laughs> you know, Michael Pillar came in uh, late after Michael Wagner uh, left and he was riding the rims behind, writing feverishly, survived all the V episodes. Um, and somewhere around the middle of the season, it's almost like the coyote getting on top of his legs on the rocket 
shoes. You know, at first the the rocket shoes are playing well. He's starting to get his bearings, and they're starting to actually get on top of some shows. And that's when the season started to turn around. We started having the episodes like uh, uh, The Offspring and Sins of the Father, and Yesterday's Enterprise started mm-hmm. off as trash and wound up being the gem. You know, the gem out of nowhere. And then, of course, the season ended up with Best of Both Worlds, and then Bang rating exploded, and the show's off and running. What what's what we should back up and remember here Sarek was late in the season 23rd episode so almost uh, at the end yeah we're like 2 3 from the end and um but before Sarek Eric Stillwell's story about coming up with yesterday's enterprise uh Trent Ganino had a story about using the guardian of forever to do a time thing that they would have to fix and the story that the two of them wound up getting together was something happened they they mess up the past Sarek the father of Vulcan, you know, philosophy and and uh, and dispassion. Um, who, you know, the, the Vulcans are tearing themselves up with their emotional nuclear wars. Um, Sarek, Surak disappears, and Sarek goes back in time. Spock's dad goes back in time to take his place, so that history will write itself. And that was going to be kind of the going back in time to fix time thrust of Eric's original story which Michael did not, he didn't want to do Sarek at the time. He didn't want to do, they still were very cagey about using original series people. And yesterday's enterprise wound mm-hmm. up being the show. They bashed on it and it became the show that it was. But, but the thought of the plant, the idea of was planted there. Sarek, I think he just ate away at his mind. And I think things happened really quickly that third season. I think they started feeling a little more like taking a breath and they were in control of things. And I think they began to sense that things were gelling and then, and then Mark Cushman, who now we know, uh, you know, is famous now for writing his These of Voyagers books. Uh, they had a they mm-hmm. had a, a fan story about an aging about a Vulcan, about an about Vulcan ambassador who was becoming mentally ill, who they depended on peace negotiations for, and they who was not Sarek right, at that right, point. Right, right, that was the Zine in, story. And then the Mark script. was trying to pitch a story. Right. Mark uh, Cushman told me he'd had a good relationship with Gene, and but every time he'd come in to pitch stories. Gene would go, you're pitching original series stories and they need to be next gen. And, and they were starting to get there. And so they wound up, they wound up buying this uh, story and merging the two. The other one was actually a zine story. That's who the Jake Jacobs name on the credits is. So, you know, in the mm-hmm. mishmash of things, <laughs> the way that they were doing, um, somewhere along the way, it was like, okay, we're going to take baby steps and use an original series character. It was also partly driven by the story. We want to show the power of this mental illness, something akin to Alzheimer's. I want to invent it and have it be Vulcan. And Michael said, to have some power, we can't just have this be a schmuck that shows up. It just can't be a guest role of the week. It's got to be somebody we know. And, mm-hmm. and they said, okay, how about Sarek? And you mentioned something about what they had to do to get Mark Leonard to do it. I'm sure they called Mark's agent and said, would Mark do Sarek? And they went, yes, of course. So I don't think that was a hard sell. But it was, you know, and this, and we can get into this later. There's all kinds of that. It's almost like a, a, a fault line. This is where, this third season is where everything turned around for Next Generation. And one of the many things, the mini M-I-N-I, you know, cleavage points, fault lines, was this whole, when are we going to embrace the rest of the franchise? Which at that time was the original 79 hours. Um, and this was one of the things. And then, of course, we get into the thing later on about his son, which was another whole different uh, debate. But yeah, I think uh, I, I think using Sarah just added to the power of the story, the draw, the simple story they wanted to tell here. 
I don't I don't know so much about the whole giving Vulcans more texture. That was just a happy byproduct. But they wanted to tell this mm-hmm. powerful story. Um, and then one more thing, Gene, and I didn't think about this at the time. I was looking back at my long notes for the companion. But later on, uh, Michael has talked about, really, this is where it's almost like Sarek is a metaphor for Gene Roddenberry. And not in a Wesley Crusher way, mm-hmm. in a um, here's the here's a titan of our time who is the father figure and he's starting to lose it. And everyone's having to stand around and watch this happen. And in a way, Sarek's uh, grappling with his looming Bendai disease and his coming decline and maybe having mm-hmm. one more you know, good mission in him is a little bit of a, an, an, a, a quiet homage to Gene himself, who was starting to go downhill then. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't gotten to the point in my research where I'm I'm that caught up. I mean, I, I'm very much stuck right in season one of Next Gen and kind of have That's binders kind of on everything else right now. Yeah, boy, tell me about it. But this is like this is like discovering a totally different show. Watching this episode, like, wait a minute. Yeah, this show came along I, later. I, I like. Yeah, I like and respect these characters. Um, but uh, <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! Are, are you saying you were thrown off because there was no Tasha Yar and you? you didn't I have... yeah, completely. I was like, wait a minute. Oh, the guy with this the beard is, is this Russian. is great. Yeah. Oh, that guy. Okay, they kept calling him <laughs> Will, and I only knew him as Bill. Mm-hmm. So it was very, very hard to to put all that together. And the guy who's threatening to punch a kid is the chief <laughs> engineer of the ship. <laughs> oh right right okay yeah quite very confusing thank you guys for uh, straightening this out for me he was in a different uniform i didn't mm-hmm. i didn't understand um <laughs> now it, it is interesting that i i have seen memos and notes um to exactly what larry was talking about and kind of this going back and forth about how much or how little of the original series do we put in and i forget which script it was but it might have been it had to have been from the first maybe five or six episodes where somebody had written a reference to i want to say it was kirk or spock or something and there was very explicitly when when dorothy and and david were still in the writing staff right probably yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And there were there were very explicitly notes in there saying, no, 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 we're we're keeping this out. We cannot rely on original series content. Of course, naked now they just go right ahead and say, oh, that was that ship that James Kirk was the captain of. It's I remember, yeah, I remember reading that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, with a big capital mm-hmm. H at the beginning of that homage. <laughs> um, so. So I've seen the notes about this, and and it's interesting to hear from Larry kind of where that breaking point happens. And and it has to, of course, come when you've got a changeover in staff, when you get Michael Piller in, and as Gene is fading away more and more from the show. So yeah, that that all makes perfect sense. And it's I'm kind of glad that they did things the way they did at the beginning. Um, It would have been, to me, too much fan service to just launch into this new show and constantly try to draw parallels between it and the old one. The other side Um, of the coin would be, if you're not going to do that, it would be nice to have something to have in its place. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they they had to find the right balance, and they finally did find the right balance. And, you know, going back to what we were saying about Enterprise, well, you can make the same argument there, how much or how little – was the right amount. And even though season four of that show is really good, was it too much too late? 
So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you know, every writer is going to bring their own, uh, their own spin on it and their own preference for how much of that goes in. Mm-hmm. To me, though, Sarek, this episode is sort of the perfect combination because you bring back this beloved and incredible character played with such presence and you don't force him into an action show. That's something that I really loved about this. It's riveting to watch, but there's no action. It's people talking. And that's very, very difficult. Well, to there do. is that one bar fight scene. Yeah, with the androids. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If only and they'd that been cello armed. player broke a string. <laughs> oh, that was yeah, right. That was rough. <laughs> <laughs> I think but, that uh, yeah. has to be like one of the the best bar fight scenes in Star Trek since you know uh, tribbles, the trouble, the trouble with tribbles. Yeah, it yeah. just it, yeah. it. I mean, they uh, there's the scene where the guy just throws the guy's head full on up against the bar, and right. you hear this, especially in that nice new audio mix on the Blu-rays, the <laughs> like like where his head is supposed to have smashed right into that bar. Yeah. It's awesome. On the Blu-rays, I was concerned that some actors were hurt in the making of that scene because, and there's the scene where Riker walks into the frame and someone just whack, whacks him right yeah. in the face and he falls to the floor. And he never gets back up either. He never I gets mean. back up, yeah. It's, it's shot really well. That fight mm-hmm. scene is shot really, really well. That's one thing that kind of is driving me nuts about season one is that it's not a well-produced show you know regardless of the scripts and and there are some that are good there are some that are bad and the actors you have some that are very good and some that are maybe trying to find their way um (laughs) but by the time you larry correct me if i'm wrong had marvin rush already come on board by the time marvin rush was not till this season three they went through a different dp the first two years Oh, okay. All right. But this episode looks so much better. Sarek looks so much mm-hmm. better. Um, and the pacing is really cool. I noticed something very interesting that there are three scenes back to back, kind of right in the middle of the show, where they're edited together in such a way that you precisely miss the action of the scenes in between and it works brilliantly and i don't know if i I have to look at the original script to this to see if there were scenes written in the interim there but i believe it's a a a progression where um oh what what is I, i think that picard says I want to see data in my briefing room right now. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. don't see that scene. Right. Instead, you see data going in to meet Sarek's handler after he has already yeah. had that meeting with uh, Picard. The very next scene is supposed to be, I believe, them reporting to Picard. But you cut that out and then you go right to the scene of, I believe it's Picard confronting Sarek. So it is back to back. You have the, mm-hmm. this incredibly well-timed shorthand to convey a lot of action. Mm-hmm. So well done. That really jumped out at me as a great sequence in the middle of that show. I thought it was uh, interesting on top of that, knowing that they don't get to put a lot of you know TOS references in and, and seeing one of the, the writers on this, which was Iris Stephen Bear, uh, the producer there at this point, you know, like they are, these guys want this stuff in these episodes, um, and that's one of the the reasons that Ira doesn't stay on the next gen for. Well, there was a bit of a tug of war, yeah. right? Like yeah. the writers want to do it, but they really can't at that point. 
Yeah, exactly. And so well, they, he, they, I, 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 I can almost feel their joy on this episode. Mm-hmm. Like we, we, we get to do this, and then of course it, it's such a struggle even to then mention anybody else. You know, mainly Spock in the mm-hmm. episode. They have to fight tooth and nail to be able to say his name once in this episode. Once. But but that's that's what was so cool to me about it that. You know, back to the original idea that, well, you want to let this show stand on its Mm -hmm. own and not have to go back to the well in order to tell a good story. So this story stands on its own, even if it wasn't Sarek, and even if it was just some other Vulcan, all you have to know going into it is Vulcans have repressed their emotions, what happens when they can't or don't. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of it's this great payoff to the audience who's waiting 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 to hear the name spock mentioned at all you know that that, so that's kind of cool but you actually don't have to have it there It, it lends gravity to it when we know who this is that that this is happening to but i find that the whole thing is just incredibly emotional and relatable to anybody who has had to watch say an older family member go through this mm. process of losing their abilities and and experiencing a kind of dementia um mm-hmm. there's something human and relatable there no matter who it is yeah um and i was in that it, situation at the time that this was airing in fact with oh, my wow. great-grandmother wow. yeah mm-hmm. so yeah i mean there's a good way and there's a bad way to write stories that honor or serve as an homage mm-hmm. <laughs> if we can use that word again um and sometimes they got it right and sometimes they got it wrong you know but here i think they got it right in such such a way do you feel like at this point again this is almost the end of season three do you feel like at this point that something like this was still needed to to fully hook in original series fans or do you feel that everyone was sold on the show by now hmm. That's a good question. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm kind of stuck where I am with season one. And I, I understand now the people who said, oh, I watched it and I couldn't get past episode eight or whatever. And I, I tuned mm-hmm. out. I didn't want anything to do with Angel it. Angel one, that um, did it for me or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. But I, I don't know. I, I, I think that you know, a show like this compounds itself over time that you, you get invested in the characters anyway. So even if they have a misstep in an episode, you're you're invested in who they are and how they're going to face what they face the next week. So I, I don't know that realistically this is the kind of episode that would make people tune in. It's a very different thing when you get to unification, and mm-hmm. the audience is going, oh, wait, Spock will be back on TV. I'll tune in for that. I don't know if this is as, as big an impact as that, that big enough an impact to draw people back who maybe had given up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you're, yeah, when I you're talking that. about the, uh, the effect and the goal and all that, I mean, this is, this is the, the season everything really turned around for the long term. But it's still the numbers of people watching are still not they're still not up to the foam level. Because I, I forget whether it's coming out of uh, Best of Both Worlds through that year and then the next year, their ratings went up. It was either they went up 20%, then 40%, or they went up 40%, then 20%. But the huge hmm. the huge boom, I said it on the DVD, whatever I said there was true. Um, but, 
but the point is it's like <laughs> it's still a tiny thing and and yeah there are little bones to throw but it's it's really not they're not even thinking sitting around thinking about stunt casting and stunt mentioning even for the fan base it's it's more it's like ron and ira in there mr rookie and mr i'm so tired of this whole year i'm out of here almost but um it's them and they're slugging away because they they're they're actually Star Trek fans and they're in there slugging away to do these historic moments. And it's, and mm-hmm. Michael is on board with it and it's everybody versus Rick because Rick is the one going, I mean, the, the people like these early years. Yeah. D was on as the little send off cameo, but everybody, the, the overriding, you know, the overriding thing, the first 10 years of fandom after cancellation of 69 was when do we get a show back or when do we get a movie back? And the overriding arc of early next generation was when are you gonna mention Kirk, when are you gonna mention Spock or have them on, because we all know Spock's a Vulcan, <laughs> you know, the same way Sarah was here. And that was just like that golden moment yeah. that was being saved. And and as you mentioned, yeah, that was the stunt thing that doubled up with, you know, Star Trek six and ninety two and then having Spock on the two parter. And then Kirk was saved for the mm-hmm. first movie, you know, the first generation's crossover movie with you know, the first next gen movie. So those were still you know, the those were the leverage points that Rick was still carrying around. And so that's why the big fight. And then the whole, you know, he mentioned Spock in that amazing mind meld scene, which is the first time we saw mind meld on Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Um, but that whole argument about the line about seeing his son, I, I met you at, at his son's, at, at your son's wedding. And the whole fight, mm-hmm. Ira talks about this, I think, on the, on the Blu-rays, the new, the new uh, documentary. But it, that huge internal fight they had about whether they could say at Spock's wedding or at your son's wedding. And it's like the compromise was he says Spock in the mind mail, because everyone knew that and would get that. But to, to, but to throw down that Spock had been married was just too much, you know, even if he'd been divorced, it was just too much. And Rick insisted on that, the, you know, they had fights on that all the time. And, it, you know, just it's just amazing where that was. And then within months, it was all a moot point. You know, like the, the releases all started coming the next year and the ne- year after that and but that's where this was in that point in time and um it's just amazing to me that they fought and fought and, fought. and gene was still in the mix kind of being mm-hmm. you know this is right mm-hmm. after when gene everybody loved ira's idea for captain's holiday and es- especially patrick who wanted some you know shooting and sex they call it and and getting out of the chair <laughs> and getting down the planet which was not the original premise of the show because they didn't want to you know they were reacting against Kirk always doing that. It was supposed to be Riker does the away teams and the, the invested captain stays on the bridge. And it was boring for Patrick. And they come up with this story and everybody loves it. And of all people, it's Gene that does not want it done because he's like, my, our captain would not, you know, like go on a vacation and have a fling. <laughs> and everybody's like, what? So, you know, but that's a fading <laughs> influence in through here. And, um, um, it, it really wasn't. Some, I don't think it was really so much Gene on this, because I think he got in with Mark and helped him. You know, he appreciated the story. But it was Rick that was looking ahead to saving that, you know, that little piece of gold for later on. Anyway, it's just amazing to sit back and, well, and I. And that's the only thing I, I feel sorry for people coming to the series now, and they're just boxes of Blu-rays or they're just you know Netflix right. avatars yeah. that they don't. Um, they, so that's what we're all here to do. So there you go. And I think one of the coolest parts of this was wasn't just that it you didn't have to mention Spock because for me the the neatest moment in this episode was when it's it said that that Sarek has been following Picard's career with great interest mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so knowing that Sarek, the father of Spock, follows Picard's career with great interest lets you know how great Picard is immediately. Like this is this is how we're going to galvanize the greatness of Picard. Is, mm-hmm. is we're gonna sh- we're gonna we're gonna give you a little tidbit about him right now, and I thought that was one of the neatest things. So it, you didn't even have to mention Spock, honestly, to really do some very cool things with this episode and for the the, the character of Picard himself, and, and really cementing who he is at this point in Star Trek canon. Because there may have been, you know, um, people who are still on the fence, and they might come into this episode and into. To see a revered character like that treat Picard with such, you know, uh, deference, I think is is fantastic, and it does a lot for that character. So, for me, that was one of the things really picking up in this episode and this watching, um, and and knowing that most likely people were paying attention to that back then, and mm-hmm. that says a lot for our captain here on well, the Enterprise D. Well, in just three episodes from now, there's going to be the question of whether Patrick Stewart's going to come back or not. Exactly. Yeah. Is exactly. Captain Picard going to come back, or is it going to be Captain Riker? Uh-huh. And he ruined everybody's summer. I remember that summer so well. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about the story elements here, Matthew. I wanted to ask you because you and I are both big fans of Enterprise, and we've become accustomed to the evolution of the Vulcans and the background we've gotten about their emotional state and when this first aired it was really something to see Sarek shedding tears at this concert because at that point the Vulcans still were very much you know well Picard's reaction in in the concert when he notices the tear that sums up how we all felt about Vulcans at that point what do you what do you see the story doing in terms of developing Vulcans early on Oh my goodness, uh, gosh, thinking back, so we, at this point, we've had Star Trek, you know, f- four Spocks come back, you know, um, and we, we really don't, uh, the crazy And you don't see Sarek is, being emotional about that right, at but, all. Uh, well, we see him greet his son in a way that he hasn't before, and he tells him yeah, that he's proud true. of him, and, and so yeah. there's a little bit of an open door there to kind of mm-hmm. let you know that... There's more to Sarek and, and, and the feeling that Vulcans have um, than, than we necessarily get. Because here, we don't really know anything about Vulcans. And we, need, we put it down to it. We know they're unemotional, and they had emotions once, and they suppress them now. Like, mm-hmm. And they have sex every seven years. That's pretty much the, the basis of what we know about Vulcans. And, and really, and so, the undiscovered country, which hasn't even come out hasn't yet. even happened yet is the first time we find out that they have a real candle fetish as well. So we don't even <laughs> exactly. know about the candle exactly. stuff at this point. Yeah, I mean, well, and we also, we haven't had Star Trek V. Have we had Star Trek V at this point? We've had five at this point. So we've had Star Trek V at this point. We also know that uh, that they mm-hmm. they don't really know a lot about campfire scenes, but they do know you like marshmallows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and so, uh, but I... I yeah, so I think that's a you know we've we've had that and we're getting a little bit more about Vulcans at that point and it it creates I think a fantastic place for us to get just a little bit more and it it was a it's a race I feel like we, at this point we should have known a ton about but we don't 
And to get a scene here where we see kind of the breakdown of everything that we've known about Vulcans mm-hmm. and, and see that all kind of unravel is really fantastic. And and like, you know, you were saying and, and John was saying, we're also kind of, in a way, watching what we've seen a lot of us have happen to, um, you know, our grandparents mm-hmm. or our great-grandparents um, and, and watch them deteriorate and, and, and be able to kind of feel what, you know, he's feeling um Mm -hmm. because they do get upset because they can't express themselves in the way that they want to because they can't remember and and they can't control it and and all Mm -hmm. those things and i that Mm -hmm. uh, yeah but to have it be vulcan was was great because we were getting to see more of of vulcans and i think you know retroactively in enterprise this is this is some of the things that they draw off of these little bits that we get here and then they extrapolate and, and use it to give us more um, at that point. And uh, it's, it's good to see though. I, I just, for me as a fan, like here, when I saw this episode um, back in the day, it was so good to have a familiar face one, mm-hmm. but a familiar race too. And, and, and glean some more off of that. Um, it, Cause it works really well. I was going to say, what you listening to you talk there, we were talking, Chris, you were talking about leveraging Sarek, or someone mentioned it, uh, maybe Matthew, leveraging Sarek to shine the light of greatness on Picard here as a first step. Mm-hmm. And as a fan watching the show, oh good, here's Vulcans and here's Sarek. But I kind of remember having a meta level also thinking, oh good, I'm just, it's so hard now. I'm trying to remember how stupidly savvy I was or was not then and trying to read everything we could back before you had 24-7 content streaming at you in little boxes around your house um, when you had to go down and grab Starlog or find a cool fanzine, um, that this was a barometer, this was a signal that TNG was out of the, uh, uh, what other show, what other show, Thaw? You know, I mean, it was like, oh, look, they're embracing Vulcans and the character of Sarek. And... um, and, and just knowing, I mean, if you had been a fan, even if you had not read someone quoted as saying, well, we're staying away from Vulcans, Romulans, and Klingons. But, I mean, I remember what a big thing it was for the Romulans in the neutral zone and thinking whether it was, you know, whether it was, oh, their confidence has matured to the fact that they think they can do a Romulan story and not feel like they're copying, or it was just, oh, look, something shifted and now we're going to get this. But then, you know, multiply that by 100. We've got not just Vulcans, we've got Sarek. And I think I remember thinking at the time, wow, they must be really starting to feel secure in their skin, you know, as a show, as a story, mm-hmm. as a production, compared to where they'd started from. So you, know, you were already feeling good. I mean, you saw, since the father was kind of the same way with Klingons and, and letting Worf go and adding all this texture to Worf and going to, you know, we'd never gone to the Klingon homeworld ever. And we finally had just done that. And you know, this show, it's its kind of like Teller Prime. They go to Vulcan, they pick them up, but they don't, right? Or do they pick him up from a ship? No, they're in orbit uh, of Vulcan. They, yeah. Yeah, pick yeah, them yeah. up from Vulcan so even though we didn't they, see they Vulcan. Them off on a ship. We didn't yeah. see Vulcan, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. We didn't see Vulcan, but we were at least orbiting Vulcan. <laughs> they, we didn't go to know, the surface of yeah, Vulcan. Yeah, Vulcan right. was still there. It hadn't blown up in this time period, no. Um, but what I'm saying is, it's like you just got that sense the whole third season was turning the character, as a basic, right, just as a TV show. The characters and the stories were starting to gel, and something was finally clicking. 
and watching every week was exciting. And, you know, Yesterday's Enterprise and, and Offspring and Sins of the Father and Captain's Holiday and all these fun shows that were even taking some little bit of a chance even. And, and, and Barkley uh, with Hall Addiction in, um, I forgot the name. Um, Hollow Pursuits. You know, all of those, all those things and another Q show. But the, st- the show was just starting to feel like it, would, it was starting to gel. And then along comes this episode. You go, mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Now they've even embraced Vulcans again. And oh, my God, there's Sarek. And you just, apart from all what it says about the character and what we get here, as a part of a brick in the wall, <laughs> it was just one more piece that you had this confidence and this excitement growing. Of course, you know, you ain't seen nothing yet, kids, when we get to Best of Both Worlds, a couple of shows down. But it was it was all part of this larger tapestry huh, of um, the show finding, just feeling like it was more confident of itself. You know, I, I kind of sit here and I wonder about Star Trek being, you know, very much influenced by the, the TV landscape at the time. You know, TOS is a show made under the constraints of making a TV show in the mid-60s, where there is no such thing as long arcs. There is only uh, this sense of standalone episodes, and hopefully we can sell it in a syndication, and we have no idea what order they'll be shown in at a certain point. Now, you know, in the first... (laughs) right yeah yeah right and and now here in you know 2014 as we record this you have shows that have very complex mythologies very complex character relationships and a plot line that starts out in season one gets revisited in seasons four five six and beyond next generation falls in the middle of that and it falls in in this sort of weird untested waters of you know, direct to syndication. So as much as I kind of sit here and go, well, you know, was it a, was it a blessing or was it a curse that they locked themselves into not telling stories that had the original, uh, you know, mentions of the original cast or mentions of original plot lines or, or any of this stuff, you kind of have to sit there and go, well, they must've been fighting over this with the idea that, well, we've got one foot in the 60s still with a way that we made a show 20 years ago. We got another foot in this sort of brave new world of syndication. We're also relying on a new audience who may only be catching this every now and then, you know, mm-hmm. week to week. Maybe it's it's on in one town on one night well, at one John, time and in you're... another town it's on at another time. John, you're mm-hmm. from Birmingham like I am in Alabama. You know yeah, yeah. if an Atlanta Braves baseball game wasn't on, maybe you could catch the next generation, right? Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was always exactly. preempted by something, yes. Always, always, you know. Yeah, so it, it is kind of strange that that it would take them that long to get around to something that important. But at the same time, I get it. And I get what this internal conversation must have been like. Now, I want to go back to the Vulcan thing real quick, because I I was thinking when Enterprise came on the air and we got this uh, new retro badass bad attitude Vulcan, um, <laughs> I, 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 I understood it, but I didn't get it mm-hmm. when there is the fan outcry over this, because I thought, look. One of my favorite scenes in the original series is Spock losing his marbles in uh, The Naked Time. That That is some of the best acting within the first 
you know, a dozen or so episodes of that show. It is phenomenal. He's so good in that. And it says so much about that character just right at the beginning of that series. You flash forward to season two with Amok Time, and you get more of that underlying, seething, passionate, emotional life of the Vulcans. Mm-hmm. It's not about Vulcans being unemotional. <laughs> it's about Vulcans being a mirror to humans and their emotions. Mm-hmm. And that's what that whole race is all about. So the fact that we get to turn this on its head again by the time we get to Enterprise is brilliant. And and I so loved being able to visit this little chunk right in the middle with uh with Sarek to you know not contradict or deny any of that stuff but play it precisely into this mythology that we had already created for them it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant well it's interesting too like on the next generation really the only other Vulcan Chris I, I could think of that we had seen on the Enterprise was Salar and mm-hmm. you know she's she's very Vulcan. You know she she has all the conventions of of the Vulcan. You know and there's no no straying there. But there's just one episode that she's in by this point. Um, it's in the second season, and so you know we've really only maybe seen one or two, um, and and only I I can only think of one that's really had a part to play in a story. Right. Don't here. forget so, the the one that's standing in the background in, in engineering. I was going to say there's the uh, Farpoint. No, the yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How could I forget? Yeah. yeah. How could I forget? Just, just to remind you that they are <laughs> that still the, part of the Federation. That was the pilot yeah. yeah, they could put him in the trailers. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He had so much to do. Yeah. When I they forgot. evacuate mm-hmm. the the ship, they're going to do saucer stuff, and he and his kid are walking down the hall. Oh yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. But it's just so, interesting to me because because we are this is we are kind of dipping our toe into that water and it it does such a, about the water that Jordy is preparing on the ship exactly just like okay. the water that him and him and uh, <laughs> Crusher are about to have a you know fist fight over yeah Wesley Crusher right. yeah okay speaking of that now there's something else from this episode that I do want to ask you guys about and it doesn't involve Sarek directly but. I remember there was this piece of paper floating around recently, John, that came out of the archives. Mm-hmm. It had your name on it back when they were casting <laughs> TNG. Now, I have to ask you, John, when you look at some of the scenes in this episode, there's the scene, Did, Matthew's uh-huh. favorite scene from this episode, I think, where Beverly slaps Wesley. How did you feel yeah. knowing that there was a possibility that that could have been you being slapped? Well, you know, just... Just like Patrick Stewart, the actor, wanting his scene to get out of the Enterprise, get off the bridge, go, you know, what, what did you describe it as, Larry, as the uh, kiss and fight? Sex and, sex and shooting. Sex and shooting. Hey, I was close, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, you Not know, if, if an actor can get into a, <laughs> you know, if an actor can get into a fight scene, and even if that fight scene means being slapped by your mom. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's pretty great stuff. That that goes on the reel. It does, you know, goes on and, the actor. And boy, reel. if you were if you were so if you were a Wesley Crusher, the way it had been written up to this point, you'd you'd be thrilled to have a slap scene. Think of the credit. Yeah, you'd be like, hey, uh, a yeah, a I deserve that, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> a, and b uh, I think I could probably take Gates McFadden in a fight. <laughs> I, I, all I can think of that scene is that Gates McFadden. It, it was going to turn around and wink at the camera at any moment, being like, <laughs> you're welcome. 
I, we I all know you, you wanted to do it. You're welcome. <laughs> I did that for you, all of you. Hey, you know, uh, Gene was going into decline here. He couldn't protect his, uh, you know. Right, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> it, and, this is a great moment. It, it kind of is. I mean, that, that part of the episode is very accelerated. Um, mm-hmm. but it, it's kind of fun. It's a little bit of, it's a little, you know, shades of the naked time done better than the naked now. Yeah. Well, go. and then it also sets up the, the thing that I, in retrospect now, also I think of with this is the DS with, that was it fascination with, uh, Loxana going with through Loxana. the Betazoid yeah. equivalent here where she's losing mm-hmm. her. Yep. yep. Yeah. yeah it's, it's very it's similar. Right? That's around. what I was thinking yeah. about too. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then Wesley also has another great line in this episode where he tells Jordy, at least I don't have to get my women on the holiday. (laughs) Oh, Oh, yeah, that was that was fantastic. And and when when Jordy tells him you'd get more action out of the good on a good book than you would if tonight on on your date. date, I was like, wow, wow. They are really hitting below the belt today. (laughs) Yeah, but there's Jordy, the future novelist talking Mm -hmm. or something. Yeah, (laughs) it's so it's so interesting because Ken and I talk about this on uh, on Mission Log, and it, and it came up with um, it came up with the Naked Now. Like I, I was very concerned at the idea of a future that is so yeah, it's perfect in one hand, but it's also very sterile and very boring on the other hand. And I kept thinking, man, these people really need to get drunk more often. And now you see these scenes that that Wesley and Jordy verbal smackdown they're giving each other it's like this is just below the surface of them all the time like they put on a good show of getting along and working well together but man you mm-hmm. just give them an opportunity and they will go at each well, other's that's why Beverly's little theater became such a hit they could all go in and you know mm-hmm. <laughs> right out their right. passions again. Well, they, but the only thing they, about they all that can't scene play the, the cello <laughs> or the you know the yeah. The violin, like data can, so you know they gotta have some way to express themselves. Right, right, yeah. that's right. The, the, the one thing about that scene with Jordy and Wesley, though, is that if that had been Jordy and Riker going at each other, it would have been one thing. But watching Jordy, a grown man who's the chief engineer of the flagship, in an argument with a teenager about but women, that's not just any teenager, Chris. And that's, that's true. That's it is young Mozart. It is Wesley Crusher Wonderchild. Yeah. So, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. So, any other thoughts on this episode? Anything else you guys want to touch on? Well, I, I, I said it real briefly, but one of the, the scene of this show that always got me was just that final mind melt. That's for the series that had run away from mm-hmm. Vulcans and all being Vulcan, and then to use that as a story. That's what I always remember yeah, most yeah. about this and episode. The, uh, fact, and the yeah. circular, uh, yeah, just that whole thing and going, oh my God, they have not done this, but Patrick totally gets it. Les Landau directed this show, mm-hmm. by the way, and he was one of the assistant directors who would get a, kind of graduated and wound up doing a ton of shows. I think he was number two to Cliff Bowl as far as do, having done, the, done that and kind of came, grew up in family, but that was just an amazing mm-hmm. so aside from the stuff that came out of their mouths you know Sarek saying i'm sorry i never told you i loved you spock and all of that stuff it's like mm-hmm. if you just even if the aggra- the aggravating line about i met you at your son's wedding and everyone's like ah you know at home 
But when it when you did get to there and it was like, okay, fine. They mentioned the word Spock on this show. But then, you know, there's your that's your surreal fanboy <laughs> moment. But then just as appreciating character and story that that um, they, they wrote this well, they directed it. And Patrick is they totally got it. This thing. This is opening up Sarek's brain and it's not Sarek's mind from the last 42 minutes. It's Sarek's brain since, you know, that we've seen him since 1967. Right, yeah. Exactly. And, and mm-hmm. just, no, no, forget the fact that we didn't even know that that would be used later on when we get back to, um, you know, when unification comes up, that that mind meld would be a story point, right? And that Picard mm-hmm. is the vessel that lets Spock know that his father says he never got to say that he loved him. Because that was the one thing, that was mm-hmm. the odd bird that was missing here is he's traipsing around with Bendai and where is his son? Oh, that's the mystery. We don't, you know. He whose name shall not be mentioned, partly for our we have to stand alone and partly for the we don't know when the hell we're going to get around to even having Leonard and Spock, if ever. But that mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. whole mind meld scene, and that's at, like at the end of the show, and it was such a capper, um, you know, as a dramatic piece and as a little bit of mm-hmm. fan service, both in, in the, all the Definitely. best ways. Wow, Spock is, Spock is Voldemort, he who must not be <laughs> named. <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, I, you know, for me, Chris, I, for the watching this episode again today, and I'm, I'm just kind of sitting there digesting everything. What I really liked is the scene. It, it's not just the mind melt scene where where you know Patrick is pouring his mm-hmm. heart out afterwards, but what I love is that Beverly is there, and that mm-hmm. he's like the. What I like about that scene is that you can tell not only is she there because she's the doctor, but he's the only one I think he he would trust to see him like that, you know, because Picard isn't just going to go through here what, um, and, and break down because of Sarek, but he's going to be letting himself out as well. And uh, just the scene where she hugs him, you know, it is powerful between those two characters. And it says so much about where their relationship is. And Mm -hmm. I mean, you you could never have had a scene like this if if it had been Catherine Pulaski, you know, on the on the episode. This just never would have happened. Not unless but he might could... melded with Kyle Riker. No, <laughs> exactly. Um, but to <laughs> or, have or this with Indiana, with as the counselor, yeah, yeah. It, you mm-hmm. know, yeah, yeah. The, yeah the, the fact that they have this kind of relationship, I think, was was really fantastic, and it it, it always made me when I see these kind of scenes with them. It it just I would have loved to have seen that relationship explored further in the show because it's Mm -hmm. set up from the beginning to be explored and they just always kind of push it under the rug until you get to a scene like this and you watch these two go through a a, a, you know something that that can't be explained ever you know it just it has to be felt and Mm -hmm. uh the the acting that they do together was was fantastic and so for me that's probably one of the most powerful things aside from obviously getting to hear about Sarek loving Amanda and, and Spock and all, all these people that that's great but you know this show is about yeah. not Sarek but it's about it's about our captain and it's about what he's going to go through well it gave you forward. something great like that both for next generation fans in the moment as well as for Star Trek exactly. fans yeah over time well just hearing you say that Matthew just I just had a flash here it really I mean they did get around to kind of <laughs> Once Jerry was running the show and was in the you know in the mix of writers, and once 
the show was winding down. They got to the last couple of seasons. They were looking for all these threads and all these things. And they did do uh, Attached. And they did finally touch on the Picard Crusher romance, relationship, whatever. And this was not mm-hmm. – it, it was it – was, you know, all the years that Troy and Riker were kind of out in the wilderness. And, they, and Marina and Jonathan talk about how they would be shooting a scene and they would totally gratuitously, like, exchange a glance with each other just to dare the producers to cut it out, you know? And it's like, it's like there was nothing in the actual text, but in the subtext, they were linked. They were imzotting all over the place, you know, just to have it there. Um, there's your title, Chris. Imzotting has nothing to do with the damn show. Imzotting all over the um, place. <laughs> but it made me stop and think if they had not, if, if, and it, and it reinforces when you go from series to movies and it becomes all about billing and who's in the show and how a lot of the, you know, it's almost ironic how the original cast started in the 60s with lead, second banana, and everybody else. And and they got more democratic mm-hmm. in the movies as the characters were more beloved. And on Next Generation, mm-hmm. it was a very democratic, you know, post-Hill uh, Street Blues, L.A. Law ensemble show at the time. And all the, re- the follow-on shows were, too. But when they the minute they got to movies it, it went back to a lead second banana everybody else and it was all everybody was jockeying for position it depended on the story and the writer and all that and how i think of all of the actors it was probably gates and and beverly who always wound up at the bottom of the pile when you got to movie time gates and gates beverly and, gates as an actress force <laughs> beverly as a character uh-huh. force that wound up at the bottom okay. of the pile all right and it made me mm, think the I flash i had mm-hmm. listening to max talk was if Gates had not lost second season as far as being a presence, as having her character developed and just being in the mix with everybody else, if we would have seen that, because it's obviously it's, it's right back there and you've had a turnover in writers mm-hmm. and showrunners and it's still right there. And that wasn't a, that wasn't a hitherto glance. They stuck in on the director. That's a written moment in the script for the two, you know, for Picard and mm-hmm. Matthew just pointing out. And I just wondered, I hadn't thought about this before. That that year she lost, that year that Gates lost, <laughs> and the year that Crusher lost. Um, if if we would have seen more power, if if that whole dynamic might have taken them, it's kind of like uh, throwing money into your investment fund when you're when you're sixty. I mean, it's like you know mm-hmm. every year you lose is a major you know is a major kick. So in a seven year show to lose one seventh of that really sets back your. You know, your accrued interest. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, uh, yeah, that's a that's a that's a good point. I just feel sorry where it came to in the end that that, that wasn't a more powerful dynamic for the two of them. Yeah, I think it would be if the show were written today, but it seemed also like they just didn't want to go there with the captain right, with those right, characters right. at the and time. They hit that over the head, but they finally yeah. did go there as a play. But anyway, sort of. Yeah. Well, and I think that's something that they. You can tell too. The writers all learn from the next generation, and then they just go there with Deep Space Nine. Like they're, it's okay to have characters hook up, you know, like get together and, and be in a relationship. You know, Worf and Janzia, they they see the chemistry there, and the writers start to 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 work towards putting them together. You know, yeah. and, and that's okay. Um, they're mm-hmm. not gonna they're not gonna pull a, a Ross Rachel, um, you know, Riker Troy moment here. They're they're gonna let these characters. <laughs> do what people do when they find somebody they like, you know, they, they end up falling in love. And I, I, it, it's, 
it's it's the it's the chokehold of the the 80s television you know uh i think more so than anything it's not the writer's fault i think that they would have had much more interconnected stories if they could have mm-hmm. well john do you have any final thoughts on sarah here um yeah i mean just kind of piggyback a little bit here um we always talk about what a great actor Patrick Stewart is. And to go back to that scene after the mind meld where he's sitting in that dark room with Beverly, um, not only is that a difficult draining scene as an actor, that's a difficult draining scene to do without reacting to anybody else. Mm -hmm. I talked earlier about Spock having his breakdown in the conference room on the original series during the naked time. And he totally nails that moment and he totally sells it to the audience. And Patrick Stewart had just as difficult, if not more difficult to seem to do here, the layers of himself versus Sarek um, in this totally, totally focused moment where it's just him and the camera. Yeah. Beverly's there. But it's just him and the camera. That is uh, incredibly draining. It is incredibly difficult. And um, uh, that that was such a powerful moment to me to see in this show. And when we got to the very end of the episode, the the, the send-off of Sarek, I, I do admit to getting a, a bit of a lump in my throat. And that, that is not an experience that I have had watching the parts of next gen i've been watching so far (laughs) so um and part of it is is just sort of getting to reacquaint myself with how good mark leonard is um because now i've seen everything that he's done for star trek i i had seen it before but doing it the way i'm doing it now i got to see everything in order and really kind of sit there and connect the dots Mm -hmm. and um and it's very very powerful so yeah, the, this this was like you know going from in my experience now of watching Next Gen, this was like going from uh, a, a movie of the week to Citizen Kane, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, yeah, but it, but that that the value of that rests on those two actors, and uh, and they really delivered um and like i said before i think this episode holds up even without understanding all of the uh the mythology behind it because you're given what you need to be given Mm -hmm. there's better payoff if you get that if you get all the mythology there's a better payoff if you know who spock is of course but everybody knows who spock is um but even if you go in relatively blind you're okay um, because I, I think the relatable part of this episode is relatable to everybody. Yeah, I agree. Great. Well, those are the the key points. We didn't delve into all the details of the story, but I'm glad we got to talk about the uh, the effects of Sarek and losing control of his emotions, as well as Picard and Sarek, and of course the bits with Wesley as well today. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for stopping by, John and Larry. And John, before we go, tell everyone where they can find you and tell everyone what you've got going on on Mission Log. Sure. Uh, So you can find me at missionlogpodcast.com and on Twitter at missionlogpod and on Facebook, missionlogpod. And we are also proudly carried by Trek FM. So if you 
subscribe to Mission Log on its own, or if you subscribe to Trek FM on its own, well, you can get Mission Log as a part of Trek FM, which is really rad. And I thank you for all the uh, support for doing that for us, Chris. It's been a, uh, a nice combination. Um, and, and by the way, thank you for letting me talk about this episode today, because um I uh, up until now, I thought Bandai Syndrome was uh, just an obsession with Japanese toys and video games. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's Bandai Syndrome, John. Bandai Syndrome. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Got it. Got it. Thank you for clearing that up. Yeah. Oh awesome. my God. All right. Well, Larry, tell everyone what you've got going on. Uh, uh, well, I mentioned it real briefly. We were just in Houston shooting on the Con of Wrath, but the the about to go to about to be in Houston in uh, London for the destination Star Trek land. That's exciting. Kind of close out the year along with um, Kamikaze here in um, LA as far as conventions go. But the big news is that our enterprise and space project is finally uh, launching big time. So I encourage everyone to go over. It's very unconventional. It's not a fan film. It's not a game. It's not a book. It's an actual space mission that honors science kids and science education and also tests some space tech and it's just really an out-of-the-box, crazy project. One of the taglines is, uh, isn't it time a real enterprise flew in space? Why, yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. And the other, another tagline is, you know, turning science fiction into science facts. So um, there's just so many. I just encourage everyone to go over to, to enterpriseinspace.org. Uh, and uh, the Facebook page. But the main thing is there's no Kickstarter. There's no Indiegogo. It's a very simple Hey, two million people around the world, send in 20 bucks. Your name will fly on the ship. You can be a virtual crew member. You're supporting science education and getting kids uh, kids from kindergarten to grad school um, experiments on the ship. And, and, and having an orbital craft mm-hmm. that will relaunch and re-enter and be on display. And you can go see your name that flew in space, aside from knowing you helped this incredible, you know, out-of-the-box project. And we so, should also mention, Larry, that that is a project associated with the National Space Society. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Yeah, now I have you there to prompt <laughs> me on things like that. But yes, uh, National Space Society endorsed by the likes of uh, Buzz Aldrin and Nichelle Nichols and yeah. uh, hopefully all the readers here, too, or listeners. But yeah, um, that and, and then, you know, all the regular um, continues is going to shoot another episode later in the year and... Um, Trekland CDs are on the site and, you know, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, just encourage everybody to go help Connor Rath if you can. Go to the Facebook page and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Right That's your, your starting point for yes. all kinds of excitement, right? All kinds of excitement. If you're not, of course, stuck on the Larry Nemechek on Trek FM line <laughs> on iTunes. Some people have told me they're really enjoying the Larry Nemechek collection. On Trek FM on iTunes, there. <laughs> I just, I just, it's, it's a little bit like you know when you you walk into like Nordstrom's or whatever, and hello, would would you like to check out the Larry Nemechek line? It's, <laughs> it's, it's our most prestigious line here at Trek <laughs> FM. That's right. More like the ones that Kmart has, I think, than uh, Nordstrom's. But uh, no, wait, wait, not no reflection on Trek FM, Chris. I'm sorry. Trek FM is the Nordstrom's of uh, podcast network. All right, that's our new tagline. I got to get into Photoshop <laughs> right after we stop recording here. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Larry and John. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Chris. 
Well, Chris, that was a lot of fun. One, it's always great to have Dr. Trek back on the show, and I love getting to talk to Larry and, and hear from him. And, and for me, fantastic getting to be on with John Champion. I mean, uh, you know, now a legend in, in Star Trek podcasting, and uh, it's just so much fun. And talking about such a great episode, Sarek, I, I, you know, it's been a while since I had seen this episode, and me too. I forgot how much I really like it, you know, and... Yeah. And then, of course, the, the the joy of watching it on Blu-ray, and and it's almost like re-experiencing it all over again. And so, what a what a good time! Definitely is yes on Blu-ray. It is like seeing it for the first time. And uh, like you, I I, I remember the storyline, of course, but I had not watched this one in a really long time. So I'm glad we did it and got a chance to watch it again, and of course talk about it with Larry and John. But it's not the only thing we've been talking about here on the network this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Also, I never know whether it's pronounced Babel or Babel, so I always feel um, scared to talk about it. <laughs> that you don't want to bring it up in polite conversation. Yeah, Journey to Babel. You know, <laughs> you know, journey to journey. Yeah, journey to, to, to the center to, of the earth. To the journey. Yes. Earl Grey. Patrick Stewart said, "Look, we can have that scene where Worf explains why he's in the movie, or we can have my Mambo scene, but we can't have both." <laughs> so <laughs> the orb. He just completely sells it, and he is Benjamin Sisko by this point. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. Well, he'd better be Benjamin Sisko by this point, yeah. Matthew. There's only one episode left in the series. This is true. This is true. To the journey! And this is, I would dare even say, when he uh, starts falling in love with Captain Janeway. This is the road that leads to the bathtub. From this point forward, he is just ever so slowly falling for her. And the monkey. Warp 5. They were just like, okay, we know this is the end. So screw it. We're just going to do whatever the hell we want. And putting Shatner in there, it's just like, why not? Who cares? The ready room. Also, one other thing it reminded me of when they're in space, the escape pod that Trip and Kaitama use. Did that not look to you guys like the ship from Pigs in Space without the engines? Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely right. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. There are two notes that I okay. seriously made. There were two notes that I made. Mm -hmm. One of them is, I love Riker's TV. I question what he's watching. Commentary, Trek stars. Robert Wise, if he's on the bridge of the Voyager, he's not even back at Harry Kim's station, right? He's one of the extras in the background who has to stand because he doesn't even have a chair. Literary Treks. You're waiting for one of the core cast of Vanguard to show up in these books. You're going to be waiting a long time. Because as long yep. as the three of us have anything to say about it, it ain't going to happen. Continuing mission. The big thing here is I did it all for the cost of 3DS Max, which I bought with an educational discount. So like 300 bucks. I yeah. don't think you can get an educational discount on materials to build an <laughs> actual set, can you? Axonar, the official podcast. When I learned the concept behind Prelude to Axnar that was going to be a History Channel style documentary, I just, I got so excited. Like, my favorite Star Trek book ever is David Goodman's Federation, the first 150 years, because I just love, uh, it's, it's a history book. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm.
So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user and you want to help us out here at The Ready Room, if you're not already subscribed, go over in the iTunes application or in the podcasts application on your iPhone or your iPad and hit subscribe. You can, of course, just stream the shows, but subscriptions make a big difference in how we are placed in search results and how people can find the show. So go over and subscribe. That helps us out a great deal. And while you're there, please leave us a star rating and a written review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show, and those also help us rise up in the search results and help other Star Trek fans find the ready room. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. Don't worry, you can find us all over the place. We're in Spreaker, TuneIn, SoundCloud, we're on Stitcher, we're on BlackBerry, Windows Phone. You can go to the website and you can stream, you can download the audio file from there as well. Look in the upper right-hand corner of the SoundCloud player and you'll see that. And you can grab the RSS link and pop that into any application you like and get the show that way too. Another way you can help us out is to become a patron of the network. If you go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, you can find us there. We have our goals. We have our perks outlined for you as well. We have different milestone contribution levels, but of course you can set any amount that you want. It could be something random like $7, $17, or $47. We would love for you to do that as well. But you can get all sorts of perks, of course, digital items like wallpapers and some exclusive content, early access to some of our shows, but you can also become a producer. And we would like to thank Renee Roberts, who has been a supporter of The Ready Room and the network, Matthew, really since the beginning. I think I knew Renee before I even created Trek FM through Twitter. She's been with us the entire time, has always been a huge supporter of what we're doing here. And she's now an associate producer here on The Ready Room. And I just cannot thank Renee enough for that support and all the support that she's given us over the years. It's been a joy to get to know Renee over the years. And and of course, I think everybody knows her as Maress on uh, Twitter. And, and she is just a fantastic lady and so much joy um, and so kind. And, and, and it's fantastic to have her as a, an associate producer. I can't I can't think of a, a better place to have her as an associate producer than on the ready room. She, she definitely deserves it. Absolutely. And she's also a member of our content development group, and she's helping us create other content for the network now. And you can do that too if you go to patreon.com slash trekafilm. Read through the perks. You can see uh, how they all break down. And any support that you can give us really does help us keep the shows coming to you every week and every day. So go check us out. And I thank you very, very much for any support that you can give us here at the network. Now, if you'd like to share your thoughts on today's show, we would love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what you think about those stories related to the top 100 episodes, as well as to which series should have an extra season. You can find us in many different places. If you go to our website, trek.fm contact, you'll find the form there. Just choose to send to a show and choose The Ready Room, and that'll come to me by email. We're also on Twitter. Trek.fm is the username. Facebook.com slash Trek.fm is our main Facebook page. And also, you can join us in our listeners group. I really hope you'll come over there. The Babel Conference is the name, B-A-B-E-L. Just go to our website and click Discussion on the menu bar. Or on Facebook, type the Babel Conference into the search field, and it'll come right up for you. It's a closed group, so you do need to click Join, and I'll let you in. We want to keep it focused on our listeners. It's a replacement for our forums, of course. 
and uh, just do that and I'll let you in. If it takes me six or eight hours, it just means it's the middle of the night here in Japan and I haven't seen your request yet, but I'll let you write in there. We've got a lot of members over there now. We've got a lot of conversation going on. Actually, Matthew, my notifications are going crazy all day long because I get notified of everything as the admin. So many discussions going on there right now. Chris, I'm with you. You know, like you, I spend all day at the computer and I get the same notifications and it's fantastic. So many people are talking Star Trek with Mm -hmm. us there at the Babel conference. And it's great, right? Like you feel like I'm getting so many notifications. That's annoying. But actually, because it's part of Facebook and everyone's on there already, it's so easy to just quickly type a reply and go about what you're doing. It really feels like a conversation. Like it's like we're doing a show, doing a panel like this, but we've got all of our listeners in here with us now. Yeah, I've loved it. And I think, you know, just reading through some of the things that we talk about on there and, you know, it's not all Star Trek, but, you know, obviously it's mostly Star Trek, but getting to kind of jump around to topics too is so much fun. And it's giving me some fun ideas for shows, you know, whether it's uh, interesting books or maybe even topics for us on the orb to do Mm -hmm. things like that. So, uh, yeah, I love it. And to me as well, it's nice to have the connection with you, the listeners. Because, Absolutely. You know, that's what I love we, so much. That's why we yeah. do this. Yeah, definitely. So, Matthew, you and I are both in the Babel Conference all day, every day, so people can talk to us there. But beyond that, if people want to find you and find out what else you have going on when you're not preparing for the next great classical music concert on the Enterprise D, where can they find you? Well, Chris, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me on the shows that I just mentioned, either Literary Treks, where we talk about books and comics, when we do that one together. And we also do the orb together about Deep Space Nine, so you can find us there as well. And then I do have my own personal blog at 42lifebetween.wordpress.com. I just do different types of reviews there and, and things like that, books, you know, movies, all that kind of thing, or just things that pop into my head that I want to write about that I wouldn't normally put in some sort of Star Trek format. So now, Chris, when you're not off uh, trying to rehearse for that concert, you know, I, I know that you used to play in, in symphonies and whatnot. So you could do this kind of concert. I don't know if you can do it. Can you do it like data where you have, you know, you, you just program to do, you know, mm-hmm. whichever artist that performed yeah. it over the last three you know, years? I, I did that, actually, and I, and I told them, I said, you know, I've, I'm programmed to imitate the style of any famous trombonist from history. Who would you like to hear? And they told me Will Riker. Well, I mean, he is fantastic. I, I've seen him in the 10 Forward Lounge, and he, mm-hmm. man, he puts on a great show. I, I, the ladies seem to love it. Unfortunately, after I did it, I did not end up with Minuet. I was very disappointed. Yeah, that's that's too bad, Chris. I'm sorry about that. Hmm. moment of silence everyone for chris well you can find me on twitter my username is c brian jones letter c and brian with a y i'm also on facebook facebook.com slash c brian jones and then i do a lot of shows on the network of course the ones i do here with matthew the orb and literary treks there's also warp 5 continuing mission matter stream hyper channel and i co-host the official podcast of star trek axanar with axanar creator and executive producer alec peters so those are some other places that you can find me if you want to hear what else i'm talking about in the world of star trek one more thing to tell you about before we let you go of course support our sponsor audible you can get a free audiobook of your choice just by trying out audible if you go to audibletrial.com/trekfm There's nothing to lose if you decide not to stick with Audible, you'll get to keep the book. But I know you're going to love Audible if you love podcasts. So go pick up Sarek or any other book that you like. 
I love the service and I know you will too. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. And someone else we need to thank, Matthew, is Enterprise in Space. Enterprise in Space is a really exciting project that Larry and I are both involved in. And Enterprise in Space is a project of the nonprofit National Space Society. And we are designing and launching an eight-foot orbiter and returning the craft to Earth. Now, of course, Larry and I are not designing the craft or building it or anything. We're involved in the PR and the marketing side of it. But we have amazing people. People have worked on the shuttle, all sorts of people involved in this. And it's going to carry more than 100 student-designed science experiments. And these are from students K through postgraduate. And these are going to go into space. They're going to orbit The orbiter will be called the NSS Enterprise, and it's going to be returned to Earth and then put into a museum. And you can actually be a virtual crew member by supporting the project. And more importantly, you'll be supporting science education and uh, helping develop new technologies for space as well, because some of that is going to be going into the process as well. And you can find out everything you need to know about it by going to enterpriseinspace.org. And you can get the details, you can donate, you can support the project, you can see what you'll get in return there as well. And I hope you'll support us because it's a wonderful project. It's a great goal. Education is so important. Science is so important. And you'll also be helping put an actual ship named Enterprise into space. So check it out. Enterpriseinspace.org is the URL. All right, Matthew, I'm going to let you go. I am going to, you know, go back down and practice trombone some more because like I said, you know, I didn't, I didn't get minuet at the end. So apparently uh, Will's got to teach me a few more things about playing the bone. Well, Chris, just be careful what he teaches you because the pay thrust is not for everyone. (laughs) So it's not. Yeah. Well, it's been a lot of fun, but I think it's time to stick an alien hot tub in it because the ready room is done. I got my tight pants on. I got my tight pants on. Is he using the pelvic payment system? (laughs) (laughs) That's a new dance. (laughs) I can see Johnny Ive, you know, describing and demonstrating it with the belt on the screen. The white background, he's got a black shirt and black pants on. I don't think I've ever seen Johnny Ive move that much. (laughs) (laughs) It's the most elegant payment system we've ever created. You and then thrust, thrust your pelvis <laughs> at the payment system, and it accepts it. <laughs> and you thrust with. <laughs> oh god! Oh man! Just think of it like in a bar, like in a dance club. They're going to have all paying. these unintended payments <laughs> going on. It's going to be like Apple had to pay out all those millions of dollars to parents to refund purchases that their children made without permission. Same problem here, except not with children, of course, just with dancers. I was just at the bar. I didn't mean to buy that $600 bottle of champagne. (laughs) All right. You lead us into the closing here.